You're listening to Tasting Together with Maroki Tong and Andre Fruit. Well, Maroki, you're living on the other side of the planet right now. I just have to ask, could you hear me cheering from the other side of the world last night? <laughs> um, well, we're recording this, I guess, on Monday night, your time. Uh, Tuesday, 20th, Tuesday and- morning, your time. Tuesday morning, my time. So I had a moment there. I was like, yesterday. And then I was like, right, you're in the past right now. We're like, we're like talking through time, Andre. Um, <laughs> I might have heard the whispers of a chair, but it's hard over the sound of traffic and life in Hong Kong because there's a lot of freaking people here and a lot of noises. You know, the hard choice <laughs> of having to decide to cheer for Montreal or Winnipeg. I, I ended up cheering for the Montreal Alouettes. And threw my annual Grey Cup party and was thrilled to watch the underdog Montreal Alouettes send Winnipeg home without the W yet again. So, um, yeah. It's- you spoiled it for me, but that's okay. Actually, <laughs> it was funny. I knew who you were cheering for because I saw you update the Google Calendar invite with instructions for your party. <laughs> uh, do, do you want to tell people what the instructions were? The instructions were... Do not cheer for Winnipeg. <laughs> I believe the a, a, the way the instructions were actually worded was, if you cheer for Winnipeg, you'll be asked to leave. Oh, right, right, okay. Yeah, um, so I did some smoked um, smoked chicken wings. Um, we actually found a really neat way to configure my, um, my living room. Like, m- most people know I have um, a mouth with legs, my 13-year-old trusty hound dog, Sir Henry Von A-Hole. Um, and he managed to steal half a hot dog from a new guest, even at his ripe old age of 13. But we've been taking my farmer's market table and we, we propped it over top of the coffee table so that we had an elevated platform to put all the delicious eats and snacks on it. We had chips and dip. Um, you, you know who makes really good hot dogs and really good sausage? I actually, I actually don't. I'm curious to know who you think makes good hot dog and sausage, given that there's like a plethora of them that you can usually access at farmer's markets and stuff. Okay, or so like that's the thing is I'm going uh, the opposite of farmer's markets, and that is Costco. I picked up a pack of bratwurst, and I wanted like big hot dogs, like long hot dogs, as opposed to the little tiny ones. And uh, the Kirkland brand one's surprisingly good. Uh, I'm, I'm a hesitant Costco shopper, but I guess now that I have a baby, you know, we need to buy things like diapers and stuff in bulk. And, you know, I can't, I can't re- resist a good deal. And the hot dogs were a good deal and are super tasty. So there we go. My shout out to Kirkland Brands. If anyone's working for Kirkland Brands and wants to sponsor the show, I'll take it. <laughs> I know. I, I would take it. I mean, Kirkland actually makes some good stuff. I had, I do tr- eat the Kirkland protein bars. So there you go. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I've had at least some friends who's owned their pants. And the Kirkland white labeled champagne that we had that one time. Oh was my god, darn still good. loving it. All right, but yeah. that's but that's I think that's enough about about me. Unless you, did you have any questions about my Grey Cup events happenings? No, uh, I mean not necessarily because I mean it's not like I was watching it by any uh, stretch of the imagination. I was just very <laughs> curious as as to how the menu eventually manifested itself and i i will fully admit andre when you said a mouth with legs i might have been thinking about your baby i <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, spencer didn't spencer didn't get any hot dogs yet but yeah no, i know i just wanted it was like making sure you didn't eat all the food and i don't know i had tummy problems or something well i okay so i just i wanted to wrap wrap up my part of this because um you've been posting a ton of content from hong kong where you're located 
And I know on the last episode I said I was going to be living vicariously through you. I just I didn't realize that you were going to take that as like a personal challenge because I think I'm pretty good with not having a lot of FOMO. But man, I am experiencing like a very high level of FOMO. Um, just looking at the photos of uh, what you're what you're eating. And, you know, the people that you're talking to, which will be coming up in a minute. But, yeah, like, give, give a, give, just give me, like, top level, like, like, what's going on there? Oh, man, how to give the top level of Hong Kong. And maybe this is a, this, this is a good, uh, lead in for it. So, you know, when you were talking about chicken wings, it, it's funny because last night I actually had myself some chicken wings, but not maybe in the way that you imagine. I ended up visiting, a restaurant that has been around Hong Kong since the 1860s. And it's a Hong Kong style Western West restaurant because, you know, because of the British colonization and, and influence that they had in Hong Kong. I actually think this was this Hong, this restaurant was even opened before Hong Kong was ceded to Britain for a hundred years, but there was always a very long British influence and a lot of trade that was done with European countries. So Hong Kong people had opened restaurants trying to make Western food. And it was like the shit back then, right? Like the food now is quite, uh, if I had to be super honest, like meh, other than this like really rocking epic souffle that has the whole, the Instagrammable qualities because it's the size of your head and then some, but they made these chicken wings and they call them Swiss chicken wings. And the reason why they're called Swiss chicken wings is because the one time in the, in the early 1900s, the story goes, is that a Westerner came to eat at the restaurant. He ate the chicken wings with the sauce, which is just like this kind of medley of soy sauce and sugar, what they think is, you know, a Western sauce. And he kept saying, sweet, sweet, like this is sweet. And the chef misheard him and thought that he was saying Swiss, Swiss, and thought that he had come, like, made this special alpine sauce. Like, he had discovered somehow magically through his experimentations making food similar to Switzerland. So they renamed the chicken wings Swiss wings, of which it's prevailed for over 100 years. I love that. And I'm stealing your yeah. lines now. That's how you answer questions when someone gives an answer that's, like, really sweet like that. That's a really great story. <laughs> Now, yeah, it's like it's very much like a nostalgia place to go. You're getting you're eat, you're getting a slice of history, right? They haven't changed their recipe. They haven't really changed their decor in that long. And the way my parents said when they took us there, it's like this is a you know this is for them an ex, an, an experience of their past. You're not you're not eating food necessarily because it's the the most fancy Michelin uh, bib gourmand place. And I did ended up going to a lot more of those than I thought. But you're going there because it it evokes something deep inside of you. So, yeah, uh, I mean, like, there's just so much stimulation when it comes to Hong Kong. I know, I think people, when I was coming here, kept saying, eat a lot of dim sum. And I, I've had dim sum twice, but there's just so much other food than dim sum uh, when it comes to eating in Hong Kong. Like, there's just, there's every corner you turn, there's food you eat. That's really, you know, malls have floors and floors of restaurants. The malls here in Hong Kong, like, go are 10 stories up on average. And they're like hundreds of thousands of square feet and there's just food everywhere everywhere uh so make sure you follow maroki at nine ounces please to take a look at her culinary adventures in hong kong i'll say that because you're still there 
for a little while longer after this podcast drops. So there'll be plenty more information to go. But just coming back to dim sum, I know on the last podcast, I told you specifically I wanted you to eat dim sum so I could live vicariously for you. Once again, I wasn't expecting you to turn that into a challenge. But I also find it a little (laughs) bit funny that you not only went and had dim sum, you went and had dim sum at a Canadian chef's restaurant and you're starting to notch up the Michelin stars. I know. So this is and this this is an experience that I did not think would happen in the way that it would and and maybe our listeners will be mildly uh interested in it. So uh I I think we we alluded to on our last episode that I had booked a reservation at Bow Innovation um which is Chef Alvin Lung's restaurant who is the judge on Master Chef Canada and has um is what is known as the demon chef. He has, he's known as like the chef who has achieved Michelin stars to his name. This might be completely self-taught, um, you know, and he's, he's a judge and, and guest on many other, many other noted uh, shows and, and competitions around the world. Anywho, I booked a reservation at his restaurant. It is noted as one of the most affordable restaurants in Hong Kong that with a Michelin star. And I thought to myself, like, what would be the chance that I could maybe get a few minutes with him and interview him for tasting together? Like, what an amazing win that would be. So I just, like, low-key emailed his PR. Wasn't really sure here. Back in literally on the night we were driving out to the airport, he personally sends me an email saying, um, you know, I, I'm I'm looking forward to welcome you at Bo. I'm flying out to Europe the, on um, before you end up arriving there so I, I won't be able to meet you on the night of but i'd be happy to do an interview with you anytime before here's my phone number and i was like oh <laughs> so i send him a couple whatsapps and back and forth and as i'm laying over in taipei he calls me through whatsapp to sort out and he's like i i yeah i can interview you if you want to come friday and uh, then I can treat you to lunch at my one of my other restaurants. And I was like, oh, wow. Well, what's happening? Like, <laughs> what am I being offered here? I, feel, you know, I was feeling like I was being sent to the moon uh, with my uh, little bit of starstruckness while trying to. And um, he ended up actually bringing me to his restaurant, the, the Demon Celebrity, which is a newer restaurant in central Hong Kong. It's been open for about a year it's actually a partnership with a, another Michelin star chef, uh, Chef Cheng Kam Fu. And it's a Cantonese style dim sum restaurant. And we ended up dining there together. So that was my first, maybe that should I say, that's my first dim sum experience. <laughs> and he hung out with us for two hours. He gave me, he like, we just sat and we chatted and we just talked industry. And, um, he actually had a colleague there, um, Dave, who actually does R&D with him. And it, it was an exceptional experience, Andre. I, I don't, I, words cannot, I, I, it was one of those moments where I said, I really wish Andre was here. I oh. think like Chef Alvin was so generous with his time. Um, such interesting opinions, like really interesting opinions about the industry. And we just really loved shooting the shit for, for that period of time altogether. Well, without further ado, let's roll the tape of your conversation with the demon chef, Alvin Long. It's touted that Bo Innovation is the most affordable Michelin star restaurant in Hong Kong. Why was that important to you to make this restaurant affordable? Well, you know, I don't know um, whether it's the cheapest or the most affordable, but 
you know, I wanted to make I wanted to make the restaurant more, I would say, um, accessible for everyone, because a lot of times, you know, um, you know, like Michelin star restaurants, especially the ones with the higher number of stars, like three stars, the maximum, they tend to be quite an exp- expensive experience, um, and and you know, uh, and I think. Um, only a very small percentage of the population um, would go to it, yeah. Or you know, could, you know, I, I don't want to say the word afford, but you know, only a, a quite a small population, probably less than ten percent of the population, would actually, you know, um, think of going to these places because of its price. Yeah. Um, I feel that. My talent lies on my innovation, um, and I guess maybe on my business sense. And I want to make make the my, my restaurants more accessible to everyone. So I would rather deal with the ninety percent of the populations rather than the finite, very small ten percent. Do you think it's worth it to have a Michelin star grading system if it changes the cost and the accessibility to the restaurant? <laughs> I what are you trying to do? Get me in trouble? <laughs> no, but like Andre and I have really strong opinions about Michelin guides, so we want to know from the side of a chef with a Michelin star next to his name. Well, you know, I had three stars. I have two stars, and I have one stars as well. Um, I don't think the number of star in the guide mention any um, correlation with price. It does mention that you know. I think the only thing it mentions is three is an experience. You know, you must go to. Two is you know you must detour to go to, and one you know it's a very good experience. It doesn't have any, but you know, I, I mean, you know, I think, you know, things in life often can be expensive or could be cheap. Um, and I think, you know, I want to make it cheap and accessible. Um, but I don't think there is anything on the guide that's spe- you know that states or specified. But it tends to be that that seems to be the tendency because everybody's you know just trying to outdo each other with you know with all kinds of um, uh, the decor, the 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 the, the, pro- the the ingredients, the food, and of course you know you know the best usually are quite rare and they cost more money and of course that that is trans transfer to the client in the restaurant um so i try to use you know good quality uh food products ingredients but not overly expensive you know i'm not using you know the very expensive you know uh, i'm not loading the food with truffles i'm not loading it with caviar i'm I'm definitely not willing gold flakes (laughs) on so my my steak is not going to cost you three thousand us okay (laughs) and my toilets you know it's going to remain relatively metal free (laughs) um but um but i'm just saying that I want to give you a worthwhile experience. I want to give you an experience. You say, see, a good experience is one that you'll remember. Okay, and you know, often when I go to a restaurant, I you always remember the best dish, but you always remember also the worst dish, and you know, and sometimes it's the worst you like to talk about. So, word of mouth is very important to me. I want people to tell other people and say, "Yeah, I've been to Bonavision. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not expensive, but it's worth every penny." Right. Okay. And if I charge you two pennies, I hope it's 
definitely worth every pennies. Yeah. Um, but this is what I want, you know. And I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of different. You know, there are not that many self-trained Michelin star chef in the world, and definitely there's not that many self-trained one that started at age 40. So I really feel, you know, felt or really feel that um, this was a, a gift to me. Uh, for a second, you know, for a second chance mm-hmm. in life to do something I really love, and as a, and since it was, a, I feel it's a gift to me. And I think you know I shouldn't charge too much for it. Uh, right. I can't afford to give it back free, but you know I'm trying my best to um, spread this gift. Um, if I'm not being too um, religious or or arrogant about this, but you know I'm trying to I'm trying to you know spread and and showcase you know. Um, my talent, if you can say that, and make it more accessible. I feel like that's a really good life lesson for everyone who's listening. Okay. Let me turn off the violin. So, okay. okay. <laughs> so we're doing this interview today and dining at the Demon Celebrity, and it's a dim sum restaurant focused on Cantonese cuisine, and it already has one star. And you also have restaurants all over the world. I think you have one in Dubai, you have some in in the UK. And one of the things I want to hear from you is your thoughts on elevating Chinese cuisine or maybe even Asian cuisine as a whole. Because one thing that Andre and I have discussed a lot is the challenges that people have had about um, perceiving or receiving or even paying more money for refined Asian cuisine because there's such a perception on it being cheap from a Western audience. I'm not saying it's correct, but that's the perception. So do you find having restaurants all over, do you find people more receptive in Canada for Asian in Asian cuisine or or people here in Hong Kong open to it or somewhere else around the world? Well, I think first thing about people's perception, let me just answer it in many parts. Uh, let's start with people's perception of um, Asian cuisine or Chinese cuisine. I mean, now, before... I guess you know the, in the in the very old days. Let's start with Toronto, okay? You know where where I grew up and you know where I I, I love. Um, and say you know in the beginning when I when I immigrated there in uh, in the early sixties. In fact, I landed in Canada in nineteen sixty five. The Maple Leafs were still winning then, <laughs> uh, but there was only like four teams. But <laughs> um, I think um, it was. The Chinese food then was a lot of, you know, very hearty, very rustic, let's say dim sum, chop suey, all from Toy San, which is, you know, the original Chinese uh, province where most of the Chinese went to Canada to build the railroad. So it was a very rustic uh, uh, Chinese food. And this is why people get this perception it's cheap, because at that time, you know, the the, uh, the general population that immigrated to Canada was definitely not rich. Yeah, it's the they went, the history, yeah, the history. Yeah, they went there to build railroads. Yeah. Okay, so um, so that's is how it started in Canada and North America. If I can, you know, um, from there uh, in the seventies and of course in the eighties, a lot of people from Hong Kong started to immigrate to Canada. Uh, and the cuisine got a bit more refined because you know they, we were merchants. We we can't we come from a, a bit more money, and you know so the food is a bit more refined. And then of course nowadays you have a lot of tycoons and 
billionaires, you know, from China, mainland China, coming into the city, and uh, they again, you know, change the uh, environment of Chinese cuisine. So, but there is still a perception around the world that Chinese cuisine is cheap, yeah, um, and French is expensive, yeah. And I just want people to change this perception and say, "Hey." Um, we're cheap, which means we're good value, but it doesn't mean that we're not refined. In fact, Chinese cuisine or Asian cuisine is extremely refined. We have a much longer history than French cuisine, and of course, you know, we are very, very much refined. If you go to the royal courts in 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 China's when the emperor, with the emperor or empresses were, you know, having banquets of of up to, you know. Up, up to hundreds of dishes per sitting, and all these dishes were elaborately, you know, decorated with, you know, very, very rare, you know, rare ingredients such as the tongue mm-hmm. of a swallow, you know, the, um, the, you know, the foot of a bear or something yeah. like that. So, and they take these elements because they feel that, you know, if you take the tongue of a bird, you know. She, you know, they're singing, so there's a lot of movement. So it must be very tender, and and, oh, okay. and and you know, I mean, look, it's it's when you go refined, you know, you say, I which part of the animal we use, or which why we use it. You know, mm-hmm. there's a big difference between filet mignon and chuck. Yeah. Um, so I think I want people to have a perception that Chinese or Asian. Can be refined, or we think about it. And the only way, you know, the only way we can do this is to basically, you know, show some elevation. And a lot of times, this elevation involves, you know, using uh, uh, ingredients that are that are more refined, and also, you know, presentation and. And a lot of other elements that goes through the experience, such as you know service, service, the environment. You know, there's a, you know, rather than a kind of like a uh, a small kind of generally unclean uh, diner, you know, to a to a you know full pledged well decorated dining room, mm-hmm. you know, with white glove service. Yeah. Um, and, and I think my specialty is also innovation. Okay, so I want to use innovation to present or showcase, you know, Asian cuisine. And uh, you know, in the early in the early stages, if you, if you um, the early parts of my career, uh, if you if you pardon the expression, I was using molecular gastronomy, which I don't think you know it's the same. Of the, uh, I think now it's more a thing of the past, molecular gastronomy, because I don't think it was defined well. I don't think it was presented well. But I think the theory or the um, DNA or the theory of molecular gastronomy, you know, um, meant well. But yeah. unfortunately, it was taken into a more negative uh, perspective or context. Um, so, you know, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to make. Asian cuisine. Now, before it was just Cantonese or Chinese, but now, you know, I'm covering the rest of Asia, uh, bits of Thailand, Malaysia, you know, Korea, everywhere. 
do you find people more receptive in Canada for refined Asian cuisine? I have, I, I have, I have, I had one in London. I have one in the Middle East. I have one in Dubai. I have Singapore. I have China. Who was the most receptive? Um, I don't know. I haven't really thought about. I really, you know, I haven't thought about it. I think everyone has their re- is receptive in different ways. You know, okay. uh, to be quite honest, okay, in Asia, when you redefine Asian food, you're defining something they know about. Right. So you know they know they, they definitely know a lot about the the original dish and then the the hybrid that comes from it. Um, you know they're going to have their reservation. If you go to Canada, where there is a lot of you know there is a lot of knowledge on Asian food because you know you know Toronto is the most diverse city in the world. So you have a a, a pockets. Uh, populations of, of, of definitely Chinese, Koreans, Filipinos, uh, Thais. So you know the good thing. This is a great thing about Toronto is is that so diverse. All these cuisine actually exists in pockets. Yeah. You know in, in Toronto, and therefore you know when you uh, when you change it or elevate it, if you're part of an expression, then people you know do have basic knowledge of the original cuisine. Yeah, for sure. Okay, because if you redefine something and you to and present it to the person who didn't have the original there's no difference between the original version and the redefined version yeah. okay because it's both foreign to them do you know what I mean yeah. so um, in certain country when you you know the reception could be different because they never really know about the original version so you're giving them a new version so they're starting from scratch they don't have a benchmark to compare yeah so i i guess you know the reception is when people say i love the food it tastes good i'll come back for more that's all i need to know Right. I don't need you know a, 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 them to be very specific and say you know the old version of sweet sour pork I I like that particular you know they were using Hawthorne and your new version you're using balsamic vinegar and you know I like the old version better or or, or they say ah no you know I like the new version better because it's more complexity and so on yeah. all right so um you know do you think. Toronto stacks up to the rest of the world in terms of quality for the Michelin Guide? Well, I, I, I mean, to be very honest, you know, whether they change their yeah, grading. No, I so say, I, I think your implication that. is... I shouldn't say like that. I'm going to take that off. I'm going to take that off record. I think but I think we're just yeah, trying to Your, your, your complication, you know, mm-hmm. did they bring it? Did, did they bring down the ratings? It's like, did they feel like they, did had, they, feel to like they had to? No, first of all, um, there, are, there are those three stars in the Michelin Guide right now for Toronto. Okay, and I I feel that you know um, potentially there should there 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 are some potential uh, candidates which I feel that you know that that are worthy. I'm not gonna say who. I'm not gonna say myself either. <laughs> um, but I, I I really feel that Toronto definitely have the potential. Okay, to have to uh, to house some three mission star establishments. Uh, I think. You cannot, like wines, you know, you're an expert in wines, so you can't judge wines by just the horizontal or the vertical. So if you judge it by the horizontal, then you say, ah, you know, a, a, ten, a 10 point French wine should have the equivalent of a 10 point um, Canadian wine. 
uh, if you judge it on a horizontal, right? And I think often that would be difficult to comprehend. If you judge it on the vertical and you say, well, the 10-point Canadian wine is the best wine in Canada and the best 10-point French wine is the best wine in France, then it would be easier to comprehend. But this information may not be as useful to some people. Okay, so, you know, being a bit more diplomatic about it, okay, um, Mission is an international guide. And, you know, uh, and and... They have judges coming in from the local vicinity, which is, you know, in North America. And then they also have international judges going in to, you know, uh, to set the overall judging program. So the guide is meant to be international. It is not meant to be a Torontonian guide, okay? So um, I don't discount the Toronto guide, nor the restaurants in Toronto. I think they produce great experience, uh, but you know, uh, do they have the you know this this you know do they have tablecloth? They're so white, you know. Basically, you know, it, it, you're, you go blind, or you know, is the service so attentive that you know you have three servers per per guest? Um, I don't think Toronto has that. I wouldn't say it has, you know, has that um, demand, okay? I think Torontonians, you know, we want good food, we want good experience, we want to see good art or good innovation coming from the chef, we want them to showcase some of the great products that come from Canada, um, and if they are able to produce a great experience, you say, ah, you know, you got the wines coming from Canada, you got wines coming from France, and you say, hey, you know, in the three mission star restaurant, they should have a wine list that covers, you know, from the DRCs, you know, right down to the uh, to the uh, you know to uh, what is it, AOC. From Canada, what's called? Uh, Appalachian, VQA. Yeah, VQA, you know, from DRC to VQA. Um, I, I, I say no. You know, I think, you know, if, uh, I think a, 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 a three mission star establishment in Canada should showcase Canadian wines. Okay, and but people, you know, have to say this is the best Canada has to offer. Yeah. And it may different from the wines in other countries, but I think it's important to showcase, you know, the best of that country has to offer. Um, And the products and the chef, I think also, you know, I I, I think even the chef, you know, like a lot of times, you know, I say to myself, hey, you know, like uh, you should feature the chef from Canada, chef that grew up in Canada, chef that were trained in Canada, because when you go to Canada, you want to experience Canada. Yeah. When you go to France, you want to experience France. So when you go to Paris, you're not looking for Putin, aren't you? <laughs> okay. You, you know. probably make better Putin anyway. <laughs> okay. So that's my, my, my thinking. Right. Uh, and I believe that's the way that mission is also thinking. Right. Okay, in, in, in this sense. Right. So, you know, without making getting getting myself in trouble, I think the way they assess it is, I think, very, very, I would say, par, uh, you know, impartial and very, very fair and giving people, you know, hopefully giving people what, they, what they're looking for yeah. and what they want. Got it. Last question. What is missing in Hong Kong still? Or 
Um, what should people eat when they're here? Well, I think first of all, when they're here, they should be eating local food. Okay, I mean, you know, there's uh, no sense in, in in going to a a international chain. I don't think there's a Red Lobster in Hong Kong, but <laughs> but you know, uh, but you know, there's no sense in going to things because I think when you're here, you should experience because you travel a long way, and you know, you may not be back for a while, so you should always go for. When I travel, you know, when I go to Toronto, I'm looking for something that is Torontonian in Toronto, um, and there's so much to offer in Hong Kong. I think you know, for cheap eats, you know, you can get from your wonton noodle shops. To your, you know, fine three-star establishment, they have a lot to offer here, um, and you know, to be quite honest, you know, even street food. But you know, I'm not a big fan of street food, to be quite honest, because I often think street food is is well distorted. It's distorted now, you know. It's it's more of a tourist attraction nowadays for street foods, you know. Yeah, my family grew up around Jordan and and Gaolong, and like it's right near Temple Street, and it's super different now. Yeah. So you know they they they're not really you know street food street food. So I think you know I'm not a, I'm I'm not particularly you know I, I'm not going to run for I'll tell you, when I go to any any country I'm not going to run for street food. But I do run for some of the economical or you know restaurants you know the the and especially you know something that's 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 offered from a from from a family you know something like that. Um, you see the thing about Hong Kong. Hong Kong has everything. Hong Kong has everything. You know, from the best Chinese cuisine to the best, you know, French. Uh, the best French have to offer, or whatever international cuisine have to offer. Uh, I think because Hong Kong people just love to eat, and they're very, very discriminate, and 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 you know, um, taste is very important here. Is there anything missing? Um, I love. Diet root beer and ketchup chips. Okay, and especially I really miss my ketchup chips. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure I send you a care package next time. Maroki, my favorite thing about after you um, messaged me telling me about this interview and what happened was, I think you learned one of the things about when you um, when you get welcomed into a, a restaurant and when you have a job as a as a, a journalist and you have a job as as a reporter and your subject really trusts you, is the moment that that recorder turns off, that's usually when the best stuff comes out. I know. We definitely had such golden conversations afterwards. And I will also say there is something so humbling, especially given my journey, you know, like in wine and food, right? Like it was, I started a wine Instagram. I've talked about my origin story about how I got into wine. And it was just because I've ta- I wanted to take my 10-year-old pad, like 10 plus years of passion in wine and just do something with it, anything with it. And I never ended up working in it. So I thought, well, an Instagram is a pretty low stakes way of getting involved. But I never thought it would blossom into the opportunities I have now, which was always just like a, a dream of mine. Like it was a dream that I thought would never manifest the opportunity to talk with these chefs that I've long admired. And then, you know, furthermore, be treated with such vip standard like for me it's like me little me like i thought i was going to come and get five minutes with you tops and the fact that you were wanting to sit and have lunch with me um bringing your colleagues to share conversation break bread together just just one of the most humbling experiences um i've i've ever had and i i will say this i i you know i think we see alvin's personality on television and 
he's kind of like that in real life. Like yeah, he, he, he totally just, is. Like, yeah, he and you know it was interesting like talking about authenticity when when you're a media personality, right? He he very much says I'm me in real life, and I'm 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 like who I am in real life is who I am in television, and I think that's how we should always be and present ourselves. And it was it was just a good commentary and a good lesson on how we should always um, put our best foot forward and stay true to ourselves because that's how the world we shouldn't we shouldn't be putting on a mask or or face when we present ourselves to the world in a certain way. It's like yeah, TV and media is a little bit augmented, but at heart it should be who we are. We shouldn't pretend to be anyone else. Yeah, it makes it easier for people to form a connection. That's something I tell everyone. Like even in the world of marketing, when I help people develop brand strategy and and, and communications is. Whatever you're doing, like the moment you start saying that, it becomes a part of your brand. So you need to be careful because your brand still exists when the camera's off, when the reporter's not writing, and when the Instagram's not there. Because the moment someone meets you face to face, they're gonna have they're gonna have a preconceived notion of who you are. Makes it a hell of a yeah. lot easier if you've done it honestly ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, Alvin said he's like it's freaking exhausting if you uh have to constantly pretend to be someone you're not and he's like in a day where everything's available on the internet yeah totally <laughs> you have a scandal they're gonna find out very fast so you know what one thing I would like to do like to do with you at some time like there's there's a few things I really want to do with you Maroki because this is something I talked with with you about before you left I I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast because something I I lament quite often is like I love learning about culture through food. And it's a challenge to find really good English language resources to learn about Cantonese cuisine, Sichuan cuisine, like Chinese cuisine in, in particular. You know, I've been fortunate enough to find really good Korean cookbooks, etc. Et and I'm not going to send you on a mission in Hong Kong to find me an English language cookbook. But I know you speak Cantonese, so I would really like to go eat at some Cantonese places and have you guide me through them so that we can talk about that a little bit on future episodes. Can we do that? I want to do that, Andre. Yeah, Let's do it. All right, so I'm going to be anxiously waiting for you to get back. I think when you do get back, we are going to be getting back to some of our more um, wine-related content. We've got a couple of really great interviews in the hopper. Um, I'm actually going to a Rhone wine event this week, and um, I think I think I'm going to be throwing in um, a quick interview if I can for Tasting Together, if that's all right with you. Do all it, right. do it. I, I will fully say, Andre, I am missing wine a little bit. It is something that is a bit of a premium over here, and I haven't been drinking it very much. I may have packed a small stash with me to Hong Kong <laughs> just so I could have some wine on nights. Well, you know what? I know we haven't planned on doing one topic podcast before. We, we generally try to make this more varied, but I think what you've got going on in Hong Kong was worth the time. So I really, I'm really enjoying you sharing your trip, and I'm looking forward to... Um, to continuing to follow along for the rest of the time you're there. And as always, if you enjoyed listening to us, please, please leave us a five-star rating and like and subscribe to our podcast. Until next time, this has been Tasting Together.